0: This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop and now it's time to decentralize it's a good day happy friday everybody and welcome to tgfdct here on clubhouse if you are new here We gather here every Friday live on Clubhouse. We share these recordings out via your favorite podcast channel. If you're here on Clubhouse, you can follow the Decentralized Trials Club tapping on the top left of your screen. And of course, if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, you can go ahead and subscribe there. We gather here every week and cover different topics related to decentralized trials. And so these topics can range from the technical around interoperability or um, new innovations around specific technologies. They can be around the human factors around change management. We cover policy, regulation, and of course, patient factors as well around supporting both enhancing access and experience as well as uh, diversity and representation. We've had sessions covering topics around environmental impact of clinical trials and how can decentralized support some of our corporate social responsibility and our sustainability objectives. The list goes on and on. Um, you can find replays uh on clubhouse on the clubhouse app when you follow the decentralized trials club and increasingly we'll be adding some of our favorite most popular back episodes uh pushed out through those podcast platforms importantly those topics come from you the community of listeners that we are lucky enough to engage with every week and so if you have a topic that you'd love to see us cover in the coming weeks drop a message to myself or Jane Miles or Amir Kalali. You can reach us through Twitter, LinkedIn, here on Clubhouse, email, whatever works best for you. Uh, You can also always drop an email to the DTRA Secretariat, secretariat at DTRA.org. If there's a topic and you don't know how to reach any of us, DTRA, of course, is the Decentralized Trials Research Alliance, and as I set up today's topic and mention DTRA. I'd be remiss, Jane, not to mention that you've made a bit of a career shift yourself this week, haven't you?
1: It's true. I jumped in, all in, to work with the DTRA team and I'm excited to see how we collaborate with everyone across the ecosystem. So thanks for letting me join.
0: Jane we are so fortunate to have you here. I have known and worked with Jane for I am hesitant to say 25-ish years, 20 25 years, almost about as long as I've known Sandeep Bhatt, one of our guests and I am thrilled that you know your experience coming from pharma and biotech coming from CRO and tech companies you can help bring this together and help the, the community at large as we're bringing the, together. So thank you for taking that step in the journey with us, Jane, and very excited to have you there. Now, one of the topics that seems to be coming up a lot lately is around this question about what we've called for the title this week, alternative site models. You know, we we see them at the show floor at the DIA when we're walking around and see uh, see RVs and and, uh, and retrofitted ambulances on the show floor. We see it um, when we're looking online and seeing the stories about pop-up sites or virtual and meta sites. Uh, we see it as we're um, seeing the headlines from CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Safeway, Kroger about retail pharmacy getting engaged in research. And so we thought for this week We're going to dig in a little bit further about some of these new research site models, maybe start to talk about some of the challenges, even from a sponsor side of keeping track of all of these. How um, How do we know which may be the right fit for different parts of our portfolio? How can we maintain confidence around oversight and quality best working ahead and maybe even what are some of the collaboration opportunities we can do that can make this space better and easier? Jane, did I set this one up okay? Do you have other initial thoughts as we jump in?
1: Nope, not at all. I am really excited to hear from people who have been using these models, Darcy and Sandeep, about what's working, what's still hard, where do you wish you could change things?
0: So this week we have 2.5 guests with us. Uh, We have... Sandeep Bhatt from uh, from GSK, Darcy Foreman from Science37, and we will be joined a little later by Josh Rose from CVS, who is a little delayed in jumping in with us. So if you saw a post on LinkedIn with a third box with a question mark about our guest this week, that's who the mystery guest was as he was trying to clear his schedule. Why don't we jump right in? Sandeep, if you don't mind, if you can come off mute, introduce yourself for anyone who doesn't know you and maybe share some of your initial
2: thoughts on this week's topic. Hey, uh, Craig, uh, Jane, thanks for inviting me. Uh, yes, uh, folks, my name's is but I'm with GSK. A group, just from an organization perspective, I'm in their clinical operations group in a digital uh, organization, which is called Digital Operations and Process Optimization. We're looking at anything and everything that can improve the way we conduct clinical research and research in general at GSK. Uh, there's a lot of digital enablers. Uh, my background is, as Craig knows me from, Many years ago, um, I'm a bioengineer. Worked in different parts of innovation over the 30 years of research that I've done, and I'm just glad to be here. Um, the topic that is on today's agenda is an exciting one. I'm glad that I'm ho- hosting this with uh, with uh, with Darcy and, and Josh, good friends of ours, and so uh, I'm ready to you know be on the roll. So let's talk. Thanks so much, Sandeep, and
0: yeah, I guess I've known you for more than a minute, so uh, I'm gonna we're gonna date ourselves. Are you um, <laughs> and and just for for context, are are you finding teams within GSK are starting to either ask questions about, explore, or even start to introduce some of these newer research site models into the organization?
2: Yeah, and I think that the messaging is uh, is is right in the I think the public space, so. Um, the way that the organizations who actually conduct alternative sites, or are we calling them alternative sites, new research sites, are doing it well. Um, the 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 avenue of of just having that knowledge of these things exist is better than showing you know people that have been doing clinical research in a very I think I don't want to say traditional, but a, the same manner over and over again. They they can see something of an alternative site. If you just give them, I don't wanna say the elevator pitch, but a, a few minutes of discussion, I think they'll get it. It's not really a complex topic. It's an extension to something they've already been um, familiar with. So I think the the question is if it's the right fit from a schedule and the timing, and if it's uh, the right type of patient population, and if it really hits hard on some of those things we always talk about in terms of, is it really, for this particular participant, is it, um, the best for their convenience is it the best for their schedule is it the best for the medicine itself um is it best for other things so it's almost as if internal to a pharmaceutical company i think they'll get it i think that 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 voice of 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 reason is there it's just finding i guess timing timing and perspective
0: thanks sandeep let's jump over to our next guest is who's going to jump in on this conversation with us we have darcy Foreman from science 37 darcy Welcome to Clubhouse. Please take a moment, come off mute, introduce yourself for folks in the audience who have not yet had the opportunity and share if you will, if you have some initial perspectives on today's topic.
3: Excellent. Well, thank you for having me. i um, really excited to be here. So for everybody that, that might not know me, I'm Darcy Foreman. I'm the Chief Delivery Officer at Science 37. Um been here for about three years. I um, was born and raised in kind of classic clinical operations, started my career at Pfizer, then moved into the CRO space A few years ago, um, got the opportunity to work in kind of a niche CRO that was that was really going into the home health care and supporting home visits. Um, with the mobile nursing and, and phlebotomy space. And that's when I, you know, when my light bulb went off of, hey, there's another way to support patients and trials. And and I think it is the right way when it when it's the right fit. And so, you know, what Sandeep said <laughs> was, rings very true in regards to how I feel about this space, obviously being at Science 37 and what our mission is, is, is really about this alternative site model. And it's not, it's, it's more, for us, it's more than just, you know, doing something differently. It's really about being able to get a, different patients into trials, right? It's, it's how do we get more individuals into trials that that, and we need it. Diversity is a huge piece. Um, same patients over and over again, making sure we're testing the medicines in the right populations that are going to actually be using it from a treatment perspective. And to do that, we have to be able to 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 get the clinical trials to have that representation as well. So, but what Sandeep said, and it, and it it's what we hold true at Science 37 as well, and and what we believe is that it's not for everything. Like this is not a it's not going to work for every single study and and it would be naive for anybody to think that this is going to be a perfect fit but at the same time we need to continue to evolve and figure out how we can do more innovative type alternative site mechanisms and that is really comes with industry partnership um and sometimes being a little a little willing to work through some of the problems and some of the friction points to make sure that we're all succeeding for the same shared goal.
0: So Darcy, it's, it, it would be easy for me to assume or simplify that the purpose for doing this is to improve access. Yep. Is that the, the sole purpose? What, what are the reasons why research sponsors today would be considering some of these alternative site models?
3: Yeah, I think it's access is absolutely one of the biggest drivers that we're seeing right there. There's definitely a, a a push for better representation of the demographics of the population. But I think in addition, right, we patient centricity is somewhat overused term, I think we could all agree, but it is about reducing the burden of participating in trials and making it easier. And so that's, that.
0: Uh oh, just me or did uh, right. did others lose Darcy mid-sentence? Oh, there we go. Yeah,
2: hey Darcy.
0: Got you.
3: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you miss me?
0: Yeah, we've got you there now. Okay, you can continue. <laughs>
3: um, so I don't know where you heard. so obviously representation is important. Um, but I think, you know, what I was saying is patient centricity and um which again is somewhat overused, but reducing that burden and allowing people to participate in an easier way also feeds into these these alternative site models, um, and that is for anybody. That is not just for the diverse patient, it's for any patient. And so when we're seeing things come our way, it's about you know patients that, that it's a diversity play, it's a reduced burden of participation and making it easier and, and more convenient to take place in trials. And then we're seeing quite a few things in the rare rare disease space where again, the, the patients might not be near the KOLs and the traditional investigators. And so again, that, that how, do, how do they get the opportunity to be in clinical trials? And so those are the big drivers for us.
0: Sandeep, does that resonate? Are there other drivers that you're sensing in the organization right now? Or does that feel like a pretty complete list in your mind?
2: It is. If I if I could extend when you're saying access, the one thing we all know about the fact there's a distance problem for a lot of participants, just the local familiarity of their, if, if it's, if it's, uh, if we say a traditional pharmacy, a retail pharmacy, they know where those addresses are. They know exactly how to get to them. It is an easier access. It's just an, it's just a quicker drive. And so we, we hope this really moves the needle in terms of the visibility of participants to not say it's just really a drive. I don't know if I can commit. Um, that's one, the other thing, and Darcy did mention to it is, you know, with, with representation, uh, at least, at least with, uh, with our company, we look at this alternative site with another added concept, which is the community itself, the level of trust in a community, whichever type of affiliation you're with faith based, Location based, demographic, the whole idea of a community means something different to everyone. And, and that is a layer of trust. Once added on to our work, it's wonderful. Um, you know, going through a church, going through a faith based organization, if you're in a certain area of the US that really, you know, you know that this is a, a, a closer um, sense of trust of a community, uh, it's not that you need to be convinced, it's just that you know you feel more comfortable. To, to enroll. And so um, we, we usually work with the community a little stronger at, uh, at our company. But um, yeah, it is an alternative site. And everything that Darcy said, I can just add more.
0: <laughs> Sandeep, when I'm thinking about this alternative site, in my mind, I threw out a bunch of different categories about uh, central or meta sites, yeah. about yeah. sites on wheels, about retail pharmacy, about pop-up sites that can open mm-hmm. in, in that church. Uh, is that is that the right universe? Are there, are there some other flavors that, that are on your mind as well?
2: So I think that when when uh, we started our journey, some of those were, I would say, more acceptable. Um, I know Darcy's at one where the Metasite concept is an acceptable concept. We've known about it. It's kind of a part of DCT in general. And we've seen that, as you mentioned, pop-up sites, mobile sites, virtual locations, um, you know, it's it's sort of growing now, basically during pandemic time. And so it's not that there are newer concepts um, out in the world. We have gone through it ourselves and seen it, but at least for the clinical research community. I think it's I think it's a newer concept, as you mentioned, like a a visible something mobile coming to you. So we, we don't actually distinguish it different. The only other additive I would say in terms of a word um, Traditionally, we looked at sites from a networking perspective, but a novel site network, I think this is actually something that is contributory with these alternative sites. It is a novel organization or a new way of putting groups and clusters of commonly interested themed uh, uh, business services. And so you, hopefully you have like a, a larger grouping of like one investigator, one IRB addressing a larger footprint in America. And so I actually would say, as we presented internally, (laughs) I am in a global company. I'm looking at global interests. I mean, there's a lot of people excited outside the U S to see how far we can advance this here. Um, just because outside of the U S it's, uh, it's a little more smaller fragmented and, and whatnot, but they're, they're actually, you know, they're, they're cheering us on.
0: How are you, um, how, how do you think about the fit for different studies? What's what's like the evaluation framework or, or consideration about, you know, if if you have a protocol either that's baked, partially baked and in development, or just a that's a spark in someone's eye that they're just getting started with? How do you start to think about these different site options that could potentially fit, and how to determine if if one of them is right for this particular study.
2: I know that the study teams themselves should be very familiar with their own patient journey and in their in the, in the complexities and the burdens that come. So uh, there are some that are very answerable, a uh, patient that actually is, um, I, not the distance, but the type of treatment and the type of either uh, ingestible, injectable, inhalable type of, of, of investigated, investigational product is needed. And so they know when a particular alternative site should the site be um, an option be done. I think when you're talking about considerations for um, like a sponsor, we we concierge it, we have a consultative group and a mindset. So it's it's an it's a non-sites fit all. All of us are educated enough as uh, folks who understand about advancements in clinical trials and e-clinical and DCT. And we sit with the study teams to help them at the earliest stage possible and possibly reviewing their protocol in terms of Really educating them because they might not have thought about it. Um, that's where we engage. We we engage at that earliest stage of operational, maybe be even before study team is there, uh, study teams even organized. It's just the fact that they need to get it approved for whatnot, and so that is at the earliest engagement to make study teams really think through. See, if there's a, if there's a better option, the whole way through. Uh, eventually, the you know the implementation of it, the scaling up, the operationalizing of it conducting and reviewing it. So um, the earlier on, it's a simple thing to say, the earlier on your engagement is, the earlier you can speak to people to say, as, as Darcy also mentioned, if it's the right thing or the right, it may not be the right thing. Um, fortunate, at least with the company I'm with, that we have those um, We have those relationships already built, the processes already built, the ways and means to work um, already built. Jane, my friend, burning question on your mind.
1: Yep, thanks for picking up the signal. Um, Sandeep. I know that you're in a global company and you run global trials. So as you're testing these new alternative site models, are your study teams using those alternative sites in the US and traditional site models outside the US? And even in the US, I'm sure it's a combination, but I'm just trying to understand when you're executing a global trial, are your teams willing to try the two models simultaneously?
2: If it's available globally, yes. Um, the majority, I'll just admit right now, it's, it's an American view only. Um, some, some firms are globalized so that they do have the opportunity to do it. We aren't, I I couldn't stand here and say that we've done a lot of global studies. So it's a global program, but it's, it's certainly an American view as of today. I mean, we're talking.
1: So the takeaway is your teams when it fits, are yeah. using different data collection modalities with that combination of traditional and alternative sites in the same trial.
2: Yeah. And, and I think the other question you did hint to is if, if, for example, if it is a global study uh, studies are always mixed mode, there's, there's not one sense fit all, even with the world of DCT. So each country has a certain type of uh, exception or, or realization of certain things within um, e-consent or or COA that can be done, and it's the same way with an alternative site. It is just the same level of openness that you need to do with your local operating company, countries, and then sort of the uh, the operationalizing it outside the U.S. At this point, we are considering this as still proof of—I won't say proof of concept, but just to prove it to GSK and prove it to others in the industry that we can do it. And this year is that first journey. So we're we're just starting ours, but. Um, it's it, it's explosive. I mean, I know that we'll have another member that's joining our panel soon. Just the amount of investment already done, regardless of us being doing it, it's it's great. And, and Darcy knows this. It's the fact that we're we're waiting for other peer pharma and peer life sciences companies to to jump on board and and, and really prove it. So, um, it, it, infancy, nas- you know, it's it's very nascent of a concept. But I would say that um, it, it I don't think there's a lot of negativity or challenges that way.
1: And Darcy, what about you and your team? Because you've been at this a while. So I'm curious if your experience reflects what Sandeep is saying. I don't mean proof of concept, but rather, are you operationalizing similar, similarly? So maybe using the alternative meta site model in some countries and not in others.
3: And is that hard,
1: easy yeah. Any learnings?
3: Yeah, absolutely um so i would i again agree with sandy this is going to be not at all controversial because i keep agreeing with each other but um <laughs> same, uh. <laughs> so i agree it is very much a you a, a, you know the majority is in the u.s um and the acceptance and also really the ease of execution based on what what has been solved um for drug shipment and you know we're clear on on the licensure requirements and and lots of different the the underlying things required to do alternative site um is and the meta site is is more baked in the us when you get xus we do have xus um meta sites that have are in the initiation phase um and and about to get started up but it is it's a it's a longer startup it's a longer um regulatory pathway just from getting there they don't they're not saying no the ex-us regulators and we I've had a lot of conversations with them they're not saying no they want to know how and they want to know how we're protecting uh patient safety how we would protect you know privacy how we will do all the different things, like all the different elements. And so it's an educate, we're in an educational space when we when we're talking about going XUS. But we do have um, XUS Medicite in the UK, we've done Canada, we've done Australia, and we are working, um, we are in the startup phases in Denmark. So it's very, it's different because every country is going to have a different operating model. So that's where the complexity comes in versus being able to do it in the U.S. and get all 50 states with with one, one submission.
1: Well, that's awesome. Thank you, Darcy. And yeah, for those who are guidance geeks like myself, I dropped a link to one of the documents that currently exists about investigator expectations about Um, protection of study participants in any trial
0: so we are going to open up the room in just a couple of minutes for your questions experience perspective so feel free to take advantage if you are new here on the live session on Clubhouse you should have a little hand waving icon in the bottom and give that a tap you'll be able to Join the queue and we'll pull you up here on stage to share your view. If you're unable to speak today in a noisy environment or what have you, you can also take advantage of the chat uh, as a space to share your idea, perspective or question. Before we uh, open up the room further, Darcy, I know that Quality and oversight are always on folks' minds. Uh, certainly as we, as we look at the link that Jean had shared with uh, guidance from the FDA, we always have to be mindful of the systems, tools, oversight processes that we have. When we look at the EMA recommendations on decentralized trials, we see a lot of space used to talk about ensuring that there are tools for investigators to have proper oversight themselves. Are there special considerations on your mind with your background from pharma and CRO coming into this space? Um, What what could or should we be doing that we, what's baseline best practice and what could we do even better in this space to build confidence in the quality and oversight with alternative new research site models?
3: yeah no it's great and it is um it is top of mind so for us you know again at science 37 and just and just how we're looking at operationalizing everything it really comes down to the safety and that and and the investigator right i mean when we're talking about alternative sites you still have a primary investigator and potentially sub investigators under that you know under that individual to execute um the trial and so we look at how many patients do we have to follow? How much do we have to, you know, what, how does that investigator through the use of technology and just continued engagement. So technology actually provides more engagement for us because we're doing telemedicine. Our investigators are still meeting with the patient. It's just not face-to-face. And so we're, you know, it, it all comes down to ensuring that quality and that oversight I think, you know, the, your second piece, the question of how do we, where does this, where does this go from an industry perspective and Sandeep talked a little bit about, you know, broadening the footprint, if you will, of sites and an alternative site model is really getting some strong clarity of what is covered under the 1572 from a clinical conduct perspective. And what is more of the things that need to happen for that patient journey that are standard of care that could be done at point solutions that, and does how does that fall into the oversight bucket, right? If it is a standard care activity that needs to happen, obviously we need to ensure patient safety, but where does that fall in regards to investigator oversight? And the more you, ex, and it's, it's a big conversation we have in Science 3.7 is the more you expand it, how do we ensure quality and oversight so that we're not getting too big for our britches and our execution model? And it's one that we're internally debating. And I think, again, an ask of the industry is how, how is what's gonna be accepted and how are we gonna do this so that we can continue to evolve the space all while, again, still maintaining the high quality standards that we need
0: so um just a just a shout out that your your perspective there just reminded me of an episode we had here on tgfdct maybe three weeks ago featuring uh two folks actually that are in the room with us brad hightower scott stout talking as well about what are those routine care activities that may be able to be performed by existing health care providers and how can we use good oversight technologies, video or otherwise, in real time to make sure that investigators have the oversight that they need to have to be able to do their work. Your, your comment also reminds me, Darcy, of uh, some newer work we have in DTRA that's going to build on some, uh, uh, on a task force between ASCO and the FDA that's focused on 1572 clarification and so when we have healthcare providers that are performing routine care activities that happen to be involved in our studies but their activities for which those providers are already licensed and credentialed um, how do we make clear the different roles and responsibilities and including just what gets put down on the 1572. And so within DTRA, we'll we'll be amplifying that work that comes out of this ASCO FDA initiative focused on oncology, but DTRA will help to pick up on that and amplify it further. That does remind me, Jane, that we probably should mention a thing or two about collabs at DTRA now that we're at the bottom of the hour. Um, What do you think? It's
1: timely so thanks for mentioning that we do have two collaboration teams collabs that are about to kick off literally in the next week or so one is specifically tied to that how the heck do you use the 1572 and other regulatory documents in dct's question the other is how do you qualify the alternative sites determine when they fit and and what questions or systems you need to put in place to ensure appropriate oversight. Now these are shorter teams, they're three or four months long. The goal is to create some recommendations, not end-to-end process maps, and then to engage with stakeholders to get more input. Those stakeholders might actually include regulatory bodies. So we're getting ready to kick those off. If you're a member of DTRA, please let us know if you're interested.
0: Fabulous. You know, these uh, these collabs are lean. They're meant to be kind of quick sprints in two areas there that really picked up nicely on our conversation so far. Again, one around 1572 modernization and clarity, a second around this topic of alternative site models, what's our p- best process or practice for pairing those with the right studies, ensuring quality and oversight. If those are of interest to you, be sure to drop a line to secretariat at DTRA.org and let DTRA folks know, we'll get you plugged in there. We are at the bottom of the hour, which in clubhouse land, as we know, is our time to reset the room. And so whether you're in the car on a podcast or with us live here today, welcome. You've landed in the Decentralized Trials Club we do gather here live every Friday on Clubhouse 12 to 1 Eastern time to cover different topics of interest to you, the folks in this community. Uh, these topics rotate every week from the technical to the human to the regulatory and policy and legal considerations all around. Innovation in this space successfully implementing implementing what's available to us forecasts about where the field is going. If there's a topic of interest to you, be sure to let us know message to. Myself, Jane Miles, Amir Kalali, or the DTRA team. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't say something that our friend Amir Kalali always reminds me. Be sure to check out the profiles of folks that are here live, if you are here live right now, or checking out a replay on Clubhouse, you may find some interesting folks that share your interest in this week's topic. Certainly, the folks co-hosting with us today, Sandeep, Darcy, great people to be sure you're connected with on, on LinkedIn and following there but also the others that are in the room with us. They share your interest in today's topic and could be a great resource for you in terms of the opportunities and challenges you may be looking to tackle. If you have an idea, question, perspective on today's topic, this is a great time to tap that hand-raising icon and, and jump in. Um, and, oh, Sandeep, did you have a, a, a question perspective there?
2: Yeah, you know, I was thinking what you were mentioning before, and it's always been in my mind. We always think of, and as Scott actually mentioned a question about patients with sites, but I'm also going to think of the inverse still of the fact we set up our sites and it's very, they're a very strong construct and, and it takes a long time and um, it's, it means well, but we don't know if a, a patient becomes a participant and this alternative site if i could go into something as you mentioned some of the other names in the universe that are coming stores retail stores and whatnot um, pharmacies the idea of health assessments just a growing growing uh, i'd say a need we're all we're all patients we just never know if we're going to be a participant the 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 fact that we have so many more alternative sites but extending into i said the retail side of things in terms of world stores there's almost um i think i want to say we open the floodgates. we want to make sure that a lot of maybe patients that never knew they could enroll have that ability and i think this this really does it and you know having them to become an alternative site later is important but the idea uh, that they can also offer health assessments earlier on, pre-screening, it, it, it's, it's fascinating, it, it's great.
1: Yes, yeah, Sandeep, I'm gonna age myself, but actually we used that model a generation ago of all things for a study in women's health, at really, actually a series of studies. And the reason that we decided to do that was because there was such a gap in education and awareness within the population about their risk factors. So the offer to the potential participants was come and get this assessment to see if you're at risk. And we'll also talk to you about research opportunities. Now, what's interesting to me is 20 odd years later, what I see happening is making that model available at scale, which is really cool. And I think aligns to where you're headed with your idea.
2: Absolutely. I'll only say that the world of wellness has exploded. Everyone's wearing something that's measured. So we, we have the ability, um, we just have to have folks do it.
0: You know, that reminds me that, you know, the, there are members of DTRA like Mvenio with their mobile fleet that that model spun out from their from their original company matrix medical that just did this type of screening program infrastructure right bringing those trucks into communities to support health screening and they just saw this natural extension to use those same trucks to be able to become research sites on wheels and so it's interesting you know i think we've all seen this these incidental studies in the past that have taken advantage of health screening fairs and other opportunities. Many sites do that in local communities just to build awareness about research opportunities. It's interesting to see how some of these have scaled to become you know, complete organizations of their own um, and, and offer that uh, hopefully at an extraordinary scale both in the U.S. and abroad. Darcy, I think so much about When I think about Science 37, where you are now, I think about the MetaSite model. Um, Are you also hitting on some of these other themes of alternative sites? Is is Science 37 going to show up at the DIA this year with a truck? Are you (laughs) looking at some of these other alternative models?
3: Uh, Well, so far, no trucks in our vision right now. it, we're you know we're we're really staying true to what we know we can do um and and kind of the expansion that we have from there is what i was discussing in regards to point of care solutions and extending the ability to execute trials with the patients that are coming into our metasite um, but extending the um, assessments that we're able to do in metasites by using point of care. So that's been, that's our primary innovation focus right now. No trucks at this point, but there's, you know, again, I feel like there's, there's a space for all of these things. Cause I think all of us are looking for how do we, how do we get the right patients in for the trials? So, but if we, if there's a truck in the market um, and and it in tune changes within science Area seven, I'll make sure everybody knows.
0: Yeah, the the DIA is gonna need a bigger uh, exhibit floor in Boston this year to accommodate the fleets that'll come uh, rolling in now. Uh, Sandeep, that means that your folks that are providing that centralized insight, that navigation, those Sherpas around digital and innovation, you, you have to keep a pretty wide lens on the external market, keeping tabs of a lot of different capabilities out there. Um you know it's it, there's there's a lot of different solution providers out there in particular that may use the term decentralized or related jargon. it It's got to be hard to keep track.
2: It's fun actually it keeps us it keeps us on our toes, and we learn a lot. I love speaking with different members of our other peers that are sponsors they take the word decentralized in a different facet because that's what they need. So we have our views on certain things and we need to learn every day. And so these type of obviously clubhouses in addition, um really really help um i'd only say um one thing is i compliment you on saying the fact that you know we are sherpas Uh, we are definitely guiding people up the mountain but actually there's gonna be a lot more people that need to be climbing that mountain as we have many more studies and sites so i wouldn't say that you know one group or one uh, i think community even within our large pharma takes up all the knowledge um there's there's a growth for every pharma, whether you're small or big, and life sciences company, biopharma, um, that we, we, we actually learn a ton more from our, our colleagues in tech IT, our, our friends who are doing uh, direct lab services, or our friends who look at emerging types of medicines, because uh, they give us the business problem to think through. And then when we work with the operational part of our study teams, we 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 kind of build both you know, knowledge internally, we build knowledge externally with all the folks here on this call and elsewhere uh, in DTRA. Um, and it's it's wonderful. I I spin I spin all, all, all challenges into uh, you know fun and, and, and learning opportunities. Sandeep,
0: when you mentioned those collaboration points with your other colleagues in your organization, we had asked Darcy right around the midpoint. Uh, earlier about quality and oversight how Mm -hmm. do you bring in your your colleagues responsible for quality oversight monitoring and so on how are they adapting to some of these new approaches i have to imagine folks that do site selection site qualification monitoring oversight this has to be a pretty challenging new world for them
2: yeah, it, it I. Yeah, again, it's not. The, I I say if one to refrain from challenging, everybody has to learn a newer nuance. I mean, in, in overall, I like I sort of said, in healthcare, we have folks who are now in wellness in healthcare in general. We're trying to predict our disease and trying to make sure they were the right patient, or we're trying to monitor our lives. In the same facet, if you're a member of the quality department, and um, you're now working with a study that has a lot more digital enablements in it. Uh, I guess I work with progressive folks. They know that they need to learn the material um, and they work side by side with those of us who might have a little depth more of content uh, and we learn together. Uh, I I haven't seen that it would be a challenge to say that learning is important. I think the challenge is when things break, how do you fix it in the best way? Whether that's being, you know, reduction of time or cost. We do, we look at all the solutions though, uh, Craig, I think that, um, the world of the unknown is always going to be the world of the unknown, the world that, you know, you want to spread the knowledge amongst your peers. And so we try to do that at, at our company. Um, but I mean, our quality folks are awesome. I mean, they're they're, within, they're they're with us on our journey from the very beginning of business concept through uh, solution design and, and, and selection of the different partners and providers we use. And obviously they work with us hand hide when we need to review and check and audit all the time. So, um, I love those guys.
0: (laughs) Darcy, I'm sure you see a lot of range from different sponsors you may touch right now around how they're tackling quality and oversight from just within their house. Uh, Are you seeing, are some of the sponsors out there organizing themselves differently? Are you seeing more dedicated roles focused on some of these newer models?
3: Uh yeah no I mean it's definitely evolving for sure I do think there is this continued education I mean I will say you know the GSKs of the world that are are nimble and and I, in my opinion ahead of the curve in regards to being the willingness right we don't see that across the entire industry um, and so we're it's it's a variable bag of comfort I guess and so there's a lot of change management that's happening. But within pharma companies, we're seeing some evolution. And I think those, you know, much like the GSKs, like Sandeep um, has expressed that, you know, and, and it described what happens within his organization are, they're the easy, you know, it's, it's the place where the adoption is, is somewhat more streamlined because they're ahead in regards to that change management perspective. But you've got, you've got other, others that are less um, willing to be there or not there yet. Um, and so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is we see everything from soup to nuts in regards to the willingness and and where the sponsors are in their journey. Um, but you know, we aspire to work with all of the GSKs that kind of have have a have it built into their into their DNA. I think.
0: I will leave Sandeep to speculate if he is either soup or nuts, but we will. Uh, <laughs> <we'll>... <laughs> Or just somewhere on the continuum from soup to nuts. Uh, Jane, I I, I know on my mind, I want to wrap up in a few minutes talking about the future and where the puck is going here, but you must have some other questions on your mind about the the current state.
1: (sighs) Okay, I'll go to the one that is maybe hard to answer. So when you're working with an alternative site model, And that alternative site in somehow in some way becomes an extension of a traditional site. Well, actually, I should start back. Do you ever use the alternative sites as extensions of traditional sites? And if so, how do you help the traditional investigator feel like they are fulfilling all the regulatory requirements for oversight and not putting themselves at risk. And I'm, I'm saying it that way because that's what I hear from sites. It isn't necessarily my opinion, but that's what I hear they're worried about. So I'm curious if you have any expertise to add to the conversation about that.
0: So Darcy, I'm sure there are some instances where your model is the site. Are there some models where you are taking a delegation to work um underneath a site and how how do these different models how do you support the investigator in these scenarios
3: yeah um i mean i think the majority of the time we are the meta site right bringing our investigators and being the primary investigator but we do work in in the different models that you're describing and um those take more time to to get a comfort level because it's exactly we're seeing what Jane is describing, right? Sites and investigators don't want to delegate to external staff. It's not um, unique to anybody, I think, within this industry. And quite honestly, if you talk to the Science 37 investigators, they they take the same stance, right? If somebody was coming to us and saying, hey, we want to use an external home health care agency to support your patients our investigators full stop or kind of take pause and go, well, how do I, how do I, how do we do this? How do we do this? So it's, it's just how it is um, and, and it's a, and it comes down to making sure that everything's safe and oversight. So, but we have had success, all of that babbling to say we have had success, but it takes a huge amount of communication where our investigators, our project teams, whoever is gonna be brought to the table, our nursing staff, have really honest conversations with the site staff and talk through all of their questions, get a comfort level, etc. Sometimes there's acceptance, and we've had again we have had situations where patients were enrolled at academic medical centers, and our investigators came in as a sub I to those AMC investigators, and our nurses supported those patients through the remainder of the trial with our investigators actually providing the oversight to our nursing team and working like in concordance with the primary investigator at the AMC. And so it really comes down to finding the path that makes everybody comfortable. Um, But it takes a lot of work and and it takes a lot of time. And when drugs are being developed and timelines are getting crunched, we're finding that sometimes people don't wanna put up the fight to get through some of the the battles, but but we're willing to go in to battle and talk through it and and it's all about making sure everybody's comfortable at the end of the day.
0: It's a great point. And this is a great topic because even when when people while people today may be speculating what will be in the FDA guidance on decentralized when it comes out shortly, we can look right across the the pond at the EMA recommendation paper, and we can see there extensive discussion about ensuring investigators have oversight with with third parties that may be involved. And Darcy, it's a great perspective to hear that even even Science 37 investigators have that concern with delegation to others. I think it's it's natural, even though we're operating in such a a resource constrained environment at the site, and so many partners today that one might think people would be eager for the help for some low acuity tasks. Um, It still requires additional work to provide that oversight. Sandeep, I'm curious from your perspective, how are you navigating that between sites and perhaps third parties that may be providing supporting capability underneath a site rather than being a site themselves? And helping to make sure that that folks at the site side feel confident and in, 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 in engaged in a part of this.
2: Yeah, we're just starting our journey and in part of our um, clinical operations group, there's um, peer engagements, uh, teams that are being formed. It's literally a, a, a very important the the relationship with the site, whether they're alternate or not, is still the golden relationship. It cannot be broken. And so um, we're we're forming our teams. We uh, don't have anything to report or read out today, but um, it is it is very important that as as Darcy mentioned, it's 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 not only sensitive, it's respectful of everybody participating. You know where they fit along the full story of a patient. I I'd only go and do one set. One quick rewind. I mean, I know we're in a smaller community, but in the world of healthcare in general, uh, I think we're all acceptable of telehealth. So we're not actually going to a provider all the time. And so changes are evident all the time. I mean, I think that um, yeah, the, just the point is that a if, if we've now accepted that telehealth with a physician who is at least state licensured, and at this point, I think at the end of the last month, there was something about, and I had to find this, that there's cross state licensure acceptances somehow. Um, we don't have enough of treatment physicians for the demand we're creating. And in the same point in, in, in our space in life sciences and clinical research, we just don't have enough. And so um, yeah, I I will stop there and just say that it's uh it's it's still on the horizon, Craig, where we don't have anything to report right now, but as Darcy mentioned it it'll it'll take a lot of work.
0: Cross state licensing, we we just did a webinar with um the harvard uh, biotech policy group over there on cross-state licensing in the current state maybe we have to bring that in jane into one of our upcoming uh tgif dct sessions and share a little bit of an update on interstate licensing in the us
2: yeah craig i want to add that and i'm sorry i'm jumping in because it's really important for me to understand as a sponsor when if it's at a cross-state level. the whole idea of being virtual is important, but now if we cross state, is it an individual state versus multiple states? How many how many you know how many PIs does a was a certain service provider really have? And so, you know, I'll let Jane answer it, but I uh for me I'm I'm all ears and all eyes I was just
1: gonna say that I think the cross state licensure is about physicians it's also about nurses and then it's about pharmacists so it it gets a little complicated when you start down the rabbit hole maybe we'll just keep it to one domain first Craig but i think it would be a great topic
0: fabulous let's talk about the future we've got so many different models i don't know if they'll all stick i don't know if things will start to converge roll up i don't know if they will be other models that we still haven't yet seen that are on the horizon um darcy sandeep and Shane, i'd love you all to be futurists for a few moments um sandeep is as, as you're thinking about the future in this space wh- what do you expect this to look like over the next five years
2: i need i need more uh, access to, to patients. Obviously, that's an obvious question. But in order for that to do that, there needs to be a lot more education at the community level. I know there's companies that are looking at a larger group of physicians that may not know about research, or maybe they did it at some point in their career and have gone away. But it, it, it's untapped potential. There's just so much of that. I, I think that that is, the, that is a, uh, a very important part of this. Um, and also, if if we have so much digital enablement that something of a traditional relationship with an AMC just has to be done better, smarter, simpler, easier. So any of these enablements that groups like my I, we we're looking at just has to grow and flourish. Um, I'm actually more interested in in, in even things that are for an alternative site, retail pharmacy, or whoever. The um, the advent of, you know, giving more opportunities for them to do even more measurements uh, for ourselves, our, wet, our, our wearables, nearables, uh, things that have to be done post-marketing, maybe even a, like a digital health test that can be done simpler. Um, it, it's kind of like DCT as a last mile and, and an alternative site can almost be like a new alternative middle half mile option.
0: Thanks so much, Sandeep. Darcy, would you like to play the futurist for us? What's this going to start to look like in five years in in our, our ecosystem of, of sites for clinical research?
3: Well, I, you know, in my dream world, right, you're gonna have your current sites and the KOLs and the traditional, like those aren't going away. You've got alternative sites. I think you have pharmacies, you have all of it. You have policy and acceptance and procedure and guidelines that are going to allow all of those to play with concordance of data collection at whatever the place is, all in the spirit of accelerating development of drugs so that, again, more patients can be a part of trials. There's the, the awareness that Sandeep talked about is a huge piece, right? It's such a small amount of patients in the, in the world know about clinical trials or even are aware of things happening. So how do we broaden the awareness of opportunities for everybody? And, it, and these alternative sites are a means, but it's gotta be more than just the alternative site. There has to be another another piece of clinical trial awareness from a from a population-based perspective. And then the final piece that I would really <laughs> love is, is just interoperability of data access, right? Like medical records, if, and, and free-flowing information on the underside to make some of these these kind of friction points ease up for everybody. That's That's got to be the five-year plan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Jane, what's your forecast here? Would you put on your futurist hat for a moment?
1: Not a forecast. It's a wish. Um, so I want everything that Sandeep and Darcy talked about and I really want to find a way for treating physicians to become active participants in research. As investigators, maybe not whole-fledged principal investigators, but I think that fits in with what both Sandeep and Darcy are talking about, because frankly, not enough of our physicians are involved yet either.
0: I think that's right. I think that, you know, like we, we, ha- we have such small pop- participation in research today. We need to continue to explore more ways for people to become aware of research, for more avenues for people to be able to access. We know that patients who do participate at sites have an overwhelmingly positive experience at research sites. And so our goal is not necessarily to, to, to do away with our existing research site infrastructure and capacity. How do we complement that? How do we support that with more access for participants? How can we tap into these new partners to be able to build infrastructure where there's research deserts and help more people to be able to access and and participate? Um, This has been a fabulous conversation. I'm very grateful to Darcy and Sandeep for joining us here today. Um, We have a couple of interesting topics coming up in the weeks ahead, including coming up next week, where we'll be spending some time with initiative leads for the patient journey maps from DTRA. And so stay tuned for next week, where we'll be joined by Alicia Staley from Medi, uh, from MediData, Richie Kahn, formerly at Medible, and Dina Bernstein at DataCubed, who worked together with a fabulous team to develop a number of patient journey maps that are available as public resources the dtra website that should be a fabulous conversation i'm looking forward to that jane any last words from you before we wrap up
1: jane's looking for the mute button no i think this is a start right first i heard clearly when pharma teams hear about these models they're excited not um they they don't put up their hands and say what are you thinking so that's positive i heard from darcy this is real, it can take some time, it's worth doing, and really customize to the needs of your trial and also the participants from the research side of your trial. But we're on a journey here, and I'm hoping that we can help provide some clarity on how to make the models work with the CoLab out- outcomes.
0: If you are a study team leader that has made it this far into the conversation and is wondering to yourself, What could I possibly do next? Explore some of these different avenues and just explore and keep an open mind as you listen to some of these different pathways that can start to uh, complement and support your next study. You don't have to radically reinvent every trial in order to make progress. Small steps count. Darcy, Sandeep, thank you so much for joining us here today. Everybody in the audience as well. Jane, always a pleasure to be here with you. Everybody stay well, enjoy your St. Patrick's Day, and we'll see you here again next week.